0: Quick note, I apologize about the audio quality in this episode. I didn't have my setup correctly. In future episodes, it sounds way better. So bear with me for this one. I think the biggest burning question that everybody has is should you negotiate your salary? Sarah, what do you think about that?
1: A hundred percent, yes.
0: Hi y'all and welcome to Muko's Corner. It's a show about learning to lead a life that feels more you in both your life and tech career. The show is live streamed on my YouTube channel and I'm happy to have you here with us today in the podcast version. I'm your host, Mayuko Inoue and invite you to come in, sit down, get cozy and enjoy the show. In this inaugural episode, we're talking all about salary negotiations. Should you negotiate your salary? Who gives the first number once you get the offer? What's the best format to have this conversation? We'll answer questions and bust myths about compensation that everyone's always wondered. And for this topic, I'm joined by Sarah, who's a lead negotiator at Levels.FYI, a company that helps people make better career decisions. She's an expert in helping folks negotiate a salary they deserve and previously, she was a tech recruiter at companies like Amazon, Facebook, and Google. Sarah, hello, and welcome to the show.
1: Great, hey, thank you so much for the introduction.
0: <laughs> yeah, how are you doing, and uh, how's your week been?
1: Been busy, but can't complain. Um, yeah, just everyone was getting offer all at the same time. So, But it's also really incredible and fulfilling to you know, help them get the, the salary that they were looking for
0: love to hear it it's always good when people are getting jobs getting offers getting jobs that's great (laughs) well so today we have an hour together a quick format i guess we're going to be doing um kind of an interview format i guess uh i'm going to be asking sarah questions about salary negotiations a lot of them were inspired by uh you all and a conversation that i had with sarah a couple weeks ago when i first was like sarah I wanna learn more about salary <laughs> negotiations because I'm doing it a certain way, but I don't know if I'm doing it right. Um, and then at the very end, we'll leave about 15 minutes for community Q&A. Thank you all to uh, those who commented on my YouTube community post, as well as replied to my tweet uh, with questions and voted on each other's. I've chosen a few that were really popular in the community, so we'll address those as well as take some from the chat. Um, we have moderators here in the chat as well who can help um, manage the chat. So yeah, it, I hope you like it. I'm really excited. I'm nervous, but I'm really excited. So, Sarah, <laughs> shall we do this? Talk about talk about money. Talk about salary. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right. So, I want to just like level the playing ground first. I guess like really <laughs> super basic. Um, when we talk about compensation like what's included typically. And I want to also note that this is definitely kind of catered towards tech folks, uh, mostly software engineers, but also designers and product managers as well. And we'll be also addressing uh, folks at different stages in their career. But yeah, let's talk about what is included in Mm -hmm. compensation typically.
1: Yeah, so compensation, um, there's two different factors that I really want to kind of mentioned here, number one, is really important to pay attention to your total compensation and not just base salary alone. Um, and then, compensation is also determined by the company compensation philosophy. So, for example, um, Amazon, their compensation will be um, you know three different components. They will have a base salary and then equity. Compared to Google, where they are Google and Facebook, they tend to be more performance heavy. And they offer instead of a sign-on bonus, they'll give you a performance bonus instead with base of health equity. Um, so it's really important to pay attention to total compensation standpoint and then also like how each company wants their breakdown to be.
0: Yeah, totally. Every company is different. It depends mm-hmm. as usual, as as a theme on this channel. Cool. So yeah, that's a great overview of what is included in compensation. So let's get the elephant out of the room because we're here to talk about negotiation specifically. Like once you get an offer from them, they give you the first packet and you see your first member and all of your RSUs and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think the biggest burning question that everybody has is should you negotiate your salary? Sarah, what do you think about that?
1: A hundred percent, yes. So a lot of companies they have uh, recently restructure their compensation or even the negotiation process. So typically, there's always a range for compensation. Um, and typically within that range, they break it up into like three tier. Um, so minimum, mid, and then max. Um, for a lot of the time, too, for a recruiter, because the range is so large, from like the minimum to like the max uh, number, typically the range can be anywhere from you know 20k difference all the way to like 100 to 200 k difference and this is why a lot of the times too the recruiter will try to ask you like hey what are you looking for in terms of compensation so they can gauge like where can they land you within that range and if uh and typically too even when you share a number they typically will still try, and try to start you out either at like the Minimum number or in between the minimum and the mid number. So um, nobody will ever like automatically give you the max number. A, it's just my company's policy too, but we have to start everyone out with the same number and we would wait for you to ask, I'm not happy with this number. Can we do something about this? And um, that's pretty much applied for you know any company that's more mature, like 3D funding or higher, as well as buying a public company. Now, sometimes for startup companies, um, the range tend to be a little bit smaller. Uh, But in terms of base salary, you're going to see that number pretty consistent, even for smaller company versus like companies.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And so I guess like now let's break it down into um, kind of parts of your career. So there's, I think, kind of three very distinct periods of your career, one in which you're trying to get an internship as a college student or um, otherwise you're kind of trying to get your foot into the door uh, into the tech industry and then the other step is kind of like your first role in tech Um, even within that there's like college recruiting so you're going directly from university into uh, the tech industry or those who come from boot camps and other backgrounds and get their first job and then there's also the mid-career folks who are also getting offers for salaries as well so I guess, how would you navigate all of those three different um, parts of your career in negotiating your salary?
1: Yeah, so good questions. Um, So for intern, it is a little bit trickier to negotiate because campus recruiting is very much so different than industry recruiting. And for campus recruiting, typically for an intern, you're gonna get paid hourly, and um, it's not as flexible in terms of negotiating there. So let's say, for example, if they start you out with $80 an hour, You can push for a little bit higher at $85 an hour, but the range wouldn't be like 100K to 200K or anything like that. Um, For a few companies, um, they will actually offer equity to the intern as well. So the equity component is something that's more flexible. But for companies that don't offer equity for internship, it's harder to, to push the, the salary compensation there. Um, however, if you get a returning offer for your next internship with the same company, because you already have you know the relationship with your manager, the team already know you, there is a track of record about your performance, that would be the best um, time for you to renegotiate your hourly rate when you return to that internship. Now, for new grad, new grad is a little bit different. So, for new grad, we treat them as an industry um, recruiting track, too. So, we pay them just like similar to any full time position, where the package would be um, you know, they, we would have base, equity, sign on bonus, and performance bonus. Um, so the first offer tend to be a little bit tricky, and I feel like a lot of the new grad tend to get really nervous around negotiating because they feel like, man, if I ask for more money, a, I might you know, I'm scared that if I don't perform at this level, they might, you know, I might get fired or um, or if I negotiate for too much, I might lose this offer. And um, I'll tell you right now, you're not gonna lose your offer because you negotiate. Um, so typically, like I said, the recruiter always lands you in like the minimum between like either the minimum number or in between the minimum and the mid number. There's still always room to go. So if you push back a little bit more, g- giving them the reason why. So that's another thing that I want to mention here too is as a recruiter, sometimes certain things are out of my control, I'm the middleman, (laughs) Um, there's a protocol that I have to follow. And I can't just give you a number just because you asked for it. Like I need some information or reasons behind it. So if you have any competing offers, you don't have to share the details of the competing offers, but just knowing that they are there would help the case. And then why what are your concern about this salary number, for example, if base is too low or because you're moving and you need additional like sign on bonus to help with the move, for example. So not only that you need to ask for a number or know the number that you need to ask for, but also be prepared to provide some reasons as well. Same with mid-level, someone who, you know, maybe going from the junior level to a mid-level position the negotiation process is going to be pretty similar, except for new grad, the range tend to be a little bit narrower. And for folks that are mid-level, the range t- tend to be a little bit larger. So just to demonstrate a little bit more, uh, for example, the minimum for in new grad to the maximum number would be like 50K difference. And for folks that are mid-level, it would be anywhere from 20K upward to 80K and 100K difference from like the minimum to the max number there.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty big difference. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like, yeah, regardless of where you're at, um, I guess, excluding internships, because it's it's really narrow and it's hourly, they do land you in this band. And so you land somewhere within that. When they place you there, part of, I think what's really hard about negotiating your salary is like knowing how much further you can go really, I think it comes back to like, how do you know how much you're worth? Like, what is your money value? And especially if this is like your first job where this is the first like salary number you've ever been assigned as like a person in tech, like you don't even have this history to look back on, on like, oh, this is typically kind of what I'm worth. So how do you work through that of like knowing how much you're worth, I guess?
1: Yeah. So I would say if you're still in school, like utilize your career counselor. So typically they already have some numbers in place that you can get that information from them. And also that's why we created levels.fyi so that everyone can share their numbers. And then also a good way for you to kind of calibrate like you're going to start seeing a trend of like, wow, everyone in the Bay Area has been getting $85 an hour for um, for internships. So maybe that's the range that I need to look for. Um, and also to keep in mind too, a lot of company pay by cost of labor and not by cost of living. What I mean by that is, for example, San Francisco is just as expensive as New York, but your compensation ban for San Francisco is still going to be a lot higher than New York because it's more of a tech hub in San Francisco and everyone wants to be really competitive when it comes to talent and everyone is willing to go above the market reference point versus in New York, we see a lot more startup companies and for for um, a lot of the time, smaller companies, they can't really afford to go above that and they, they tend to stay you know pretty in line with market reference point.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Here's kind of another question. I think that a lot of people are struggling with when they talk about negotiating and whether they should negotiate is like this like guilt that comes with asking for more money i think this it actually goes really nicely with what you said previously about like it's really like salaries are determined based on kind of what everybody else is doing so as i'm learning more and more about salary and as i've learned about it in my career i'm realizing it's definitely more of an art than a science it's really just like how is the economy doing what how is the tech economy doing Like, what is the need for this specific skill set in this day and age and everything? But there still is very much this like guilt of like asking for more, Um, especially those from like underrepresented backgrounds, I think, feel this especially. So, how should someone work through that?
1: So, I, yeah, that's really interesting because I was in similar situation where I wouldn't negotiate, or I know that I wanted to negotiate, but I didn't know how, like no one was there to help me in terms of like understanding my package. I didn't know how to go about asking. And I took the job without, you know, without negotiating. And I started to, you know, after that, like when I start to learn how my coworkers make way much more money than I do, I started to get really resentful around my job. And I start to become very bitter. So I was extremely unhappy. And that's kind of like the whole inspirations around like creating this service. And a lot of the time too, what I also noticed, um, this happened more so with female, where they feel like if they ask for more, they need to be performing at a certain level. And if they don't, then they feel like they're not worthy of that salary. But it doesn't really matter because the company already budget that amount, for you. Um, and that's why there's a range, because it's really hard to find talent nowadays. And that's why there's so many tech recruiters out there. And that's why companies are willing to pay, you know, premium rate for even tech recruiter to find talents so that, you know, they can push out project and products on time. Um, and then another like, thing to, to kind of think about it too, is, I, I think, I mean, as you know, I was raised in uh, Asian family, and. We tend to associate um, success with money. And I think that's just something that you're going to have to kind of work. I don't know, internalize that message somehow like a lot of people would say, you know, because I'm not successful, I shouldn't be asking for this much or because I'm not this good, I shouldn't be asking for this much or um, I don't have this many years of experience, I shouldn't do this or a lot of the time too, they're afraid that by asking for too much money um, it can hurt their relationship with the manager and, you know, I'll tell you right now, none of that, none of those thoughts are true. The company needs you more than you need them. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's like a really, yeah
1: yeah and it's just really insane like for example at amazon we have the conversion rate of like 25 percent. so um so we look at recruiting almost like a sales funnel right so we have applicants or sometimes we have to passively source them when we source them we have to do recruiter phone screen to kind of get a feel for like the experience the interest level or even the salary expectation And then we move them to the phone interview and then onsite interview. So every single step, Amazon would say, you know, we expect to have about like 25% conversion. So let's say if I have a hundred people onsite, typically there's only 25 people actually get an offer. So for you to to get all the way until the very end, you know, they wouldn't lose you based on like 50 K more per year or anything like that. So.
0: Right. Because even in that 25 offers, not everyone's even going to sign it. Right. Like it's even smaller than that for the actual full conversion. So I remember like when I was working in tech, like one of the things that I heard often was that like companies often just so badly want to say yes to somebody because it takes a lot of resources, takes so much time lot of coordination between many people to hire just like one person. So if they find that one person, but then salary is where it gets stuck. Like that's, I, I think and maybe you can chime in with what your experience has been. But like, that's like an easy thing compared to everything else that happens within recruiting.
1: Exactly. And there's just so many box that you have to check for someone to even get to that stage, right? It's just like the interview process, there's a full loop you're going to be talking to five to six people for six people to be on the same page that's just like another hurdle and then after that just to you know have the debrief and then you know for google there's hiring committee too so there's too many hoops to jump through already and actually i can't remember where this was where i read this information it's it was probably either at amazon or google but they said on average for them to you know have a candidate from the top of the funnel all the way to the offer acceptance stage, it takes them around mm, a hundred thousand dollars.
0: Just a lot. That's like the full salary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's like if they can give you ten K more per year, twenty K more per year over four years, that's what, eighty thousand dollars, it's still a really good deal for them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely. So basically, like, if y'all get an offer, y'all should celebrate the heck out of it because that's it's. Yeah, you're right. They really believe in you, and they so badly want to hire you. Because I think, as someone who sat on recruiting panels and stuff, and like have interviewed folks, I'd much rather like spend the time working with someone new than doing interviews like many hours a week. Because it is very time intensive. And while well, it can be fun, yeah, it is it is really hard to hire someone, which uh, I, I think is a really interesting fact. Um I guess like one of the things kind of going back to the like I feel guilty for asking money stuff is um like something that I've kind of internalized within my own career of when you're going through your career and stepping from one job to another to another, it's always better if like, if I, I have like a mountain analogy where it's like, you're starting from this part of the mountain to this part of the mountain, and everybody's trying to get from here to some part of the mountain. Uh, your first step onto that mountain, do you want it to be super shallow or do you want it to be super deep? Because wherever you get to the next point makes the next step easier or harder to get to, and will make it, Quicker or slower for you to get to the top. So, if in your first job um, you get 80K, but like actually they had a budget for 100K, then at your next job, while some states don't allow folks to disclose their previous salary, you still have a sense of like, I am worth 80K or I'm worth 100K. And that can really kind of have this compounding effect sometimes in the rest of your salary.
1: Exactly. For a salary too, it isn't like it doesn't work like a block. It wouldn't be like salary for level one is this to this, and level two is this to this. Usually, there's a little bit of an overlap. Um, so let's say if you go, you know, really high in your compensation band for this level, and you inching almost to like the top of the next level. And let's say if the company do a lot of performance bonus or um, you know, stock refresher and things like that. When your compensation is on like almost a top number there and for them to if they continue to pay you more and like bonus and everything, um, that's a pretty good conversation for the manager to say, hey, in order for us to like pay this employee more, you need to work with this candidate or this employee in terms of like a growth plan. So for a lot of the time and just recently, too, we have a lot of folks where because a compensation expectation was so high, the company ended up. Um, you know, up level that person so that they can meet that their compensation um, expectation. And I've seen that happen for a lot of the employees too, where they get paid way too much or like inching almost to like the max number of their level. The manager has to kind of work with them to promote them um, in order for the company to pay them a little bit higher for the next level.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, actually, this is a good segue into kind of um, another sort of related topic to salary negotiations, which is promotions, because promotions are a really good opportunity to get that salary bump, but I guess like like, there are these two opportunities once when you first get the job and the second time when you get promoted, but like is it easier? Is it better to go one way or the other? Like, is it easier to get that salary bump at the beginning? Or like, should you wait for a promotion? Like, I guess some, I think some folks thought processes is it's okay that I got like a lower salary band because I'll work towards a promotion and like work on my skills and my confidence. And by the time that I get there, I'll feel like I've, I'll have deserved that money kind of, what do you think about that?
1: I would say it's probably best to um, negotiate at the beginning. It's much harder to negotiate when you get a promotion. And for a lot of companies like Facebook, Amazon and Google, your promotion package is not negotiable. Um, kind of going back to that analogy earlier about like compensation ban for a level lower and a level up, usually that's a little bit of an overlap there. And let's say if you get mid number or low number of your current level, when you get promoted, they're not going to bum you all the way to the max number of the next level. You're still going to be in like the same range of like the minimum and the mid number of the next level. So if you do a really good job of negotiating at the beginning, it does set you up you know, for success, like years to come. And so when they, you know, when you get paid higher and when you get promoted, they have to bump your salary again. And for that to make sense for for the company and for you, they have to bump you up into almost the the max number of the next level again too.
0: Right, right. Basically take advantage of every opportunity you've got to its max potential.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and another rule too, for a lot of company that pay refresher, like stock refresher, and for example, like Facebook, Google, Apple, the rule is your refresher and your, you know, if you ended up staying for more than four years when you get a retainer package or anything like that, your equity once you start will never exceed your new higher grant. So when they give you equity of five hundred K, whatever you get after will never exceed that number. Unless if you get promoted all the way to director, then that's will change. But if you go from like one level to the next level the equity will never exceed that number so that's why it's really important for you to negotiate at the beginning
0: yeah the biggest drop of equity will be at the beginning then basically
1: exactly yeah
0: which equity depending on a company can be worth so much of course you have to pay taxes on those but it can be so much that that's definitely something that you don't want to ignore for sure cool Let's see, I think you kind of already touched on this a little bit, but I really wanted to hammer this in because I think it's an important thing that I always get asked on YouTube and otherwise, but will your off, like, have you ever heard of anybody's offer being rescinded for negotiating their offer?
1: I personally have never seen that. I've seen it happen. Usually it's like it has to be really extreme for your offer to get revoked. So, for example, if you've worked at the company before and maybe you're not eligible to be rehired and the recruiter didn't you know, double check on that before they reach out to you when an offer is being generated and they realize, oops, we made a mistake, shouldn't have talked to this person. That's when your offer might get rescinded. But just because you negotiate usually it doesn't get revoked or anything another time that i've seen an offer um you know being rescinded is let's say if you in canada so by by protocol we have to pay you um, say vancouver um compensation rate but let's say if the candidate just really want to get you know bay area pay but refuse to relocate that's when the company might say, hey, it looks like we can't meet your expectations in terms of pay. But even so, they still wouldn't just take the offer away from you, though, just let you know, like, hey, can't meet your expectations there. Why don't you think about it? And then let us know what you prefer to do. Um, so it's really extreme for someone to just take the offer away.
0: Yeah. So even if like maybe you were offered, say, 100K and you asked for like 150K, it's unlikely that they would rescind your offer You anything. Yeah, they won't do that. Yeah, that's like a 50% bump too. So (laughs) I feel like that's already, in some people's minds, that might already be really like extreme, but it has to be proper extreme, almost borderline shady probably for, for an offer to actually get rescinded.
1: Exactly, and sometimes too. Um, I mean, for a lot of companies, especially for software engineer at the entry level, all the way to mid level, and recruiting we call it uh, rec based recruiting. So it means that you know each team only has limited amount of headcount. Um, so let's say even so, even if you know, say I make I only have one headcount left, and I make an offer to you, and you take way too long, and then I have an internal transfer that I just ended up hiring that person instead because that person's already here. Um, you know, and for the company, we want to prioritize internal transfer first. That means that I don't have that headcount anymore. Even so the recruiter will still let you know, hey, this team doesn't have a an headcount anymore, but I can find another team for you. Um, so it just like, like I said, it has to be very extreme for someone to revoke your, the offer.
0: For sure. Yeah, that makes sense. OK, next, I want to talk more about like how do you actually negotiate specifically? I have a lot of questions about this, but I guess like the first question that I had, I think this was one of the questions that I really was um, curious when we first started talking was when a recruiter asks you, what are your salary expectations? What's the best way? Like, What's the golden answer, uh, the do's and don'ts of how to respond to that question?
1: don't give them that number don't give them that range because you know like I said the range is really large you don't know where you land in that and, and so I would recommend push back on that recruiter and ask, hey, I'm just really curious, what is the compensation plan to this position? And you don't have to answer anything in the time here. If you don't know the answer, just let them know. Hey, I actually haven't put much thought into this. This is a really important thing. Let me just take some time to think about this and, and we revisit this later um, in the process. And then, you know, usually recruiters are pretty respectful of that. Um, another thing, too, is if you're in the state of uh, Washington or California, ask the candidate when you request for a compensation ban, Legally speaking they have to share the minimum range with you. Um, and recently with Denver too they passed a law where for any employer when they post um, a job description, they have to mention like a minimum salary range too. So the recruiter can push for it, the recruiter can ask there isn't anything in place that you know tell them that they can't ask, but ask the candidate you're not know, obligated to have that question
0: That's really good to know. I, I think in the past I recommended to you all, my viewers, that you should say, I expect to be compensated competitively, which is fine. But I think instead getting that, like, yeah, like instead flipping the question to them, right? Because as soon as you put out a number out there, they, you were basically like might already be giving yourself away at a discount, uh, which is great for the company because then they're like, wow, we get someone at this caliber for this cheap. Great, let's just like keep going with their number when in fact you're actually worth a lot more. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Exactly. And it's just like, you know, once you give a number, the recruiter will hold you to it. So you say 230K in total compensation, they will give you exactly that, like nothing more, nothing less. And let's say you start interview with another company and they give you 300K. You can't come back and be like, we're just kidding. Like now I want 300K. The recruiter going to be like, you know, now the recruiter can say, wow, he came back you know, and tell me the other competing offer, which means that he really he or she really wants this position, I'm not going to move the needle. And they will eventually right. cave and accept this offer, Right. you know, for some really aggressive recruiter, they'll do that. And then another thing too, when they give you the range, don't say yes, don't say no, let's say you flip it back on them and say, Hey, I'm just really curious, what is the compensation then for this position? And let's say the recruiter tell you, all right, well, the range is 100k to 120k. How does that sound to you? Do you like this number? A voice saying, yeah, no, that sounds great, or no, that's really low. Just keep things a little bit more open-ended by saying that's a really good start. <laughs> so that you open <laughs> that door for yourself to negotiate later.
0: For sure, yeah. It's like you leave it as lukewarm as possible for as long as possible is what I'm hearing.
1: Exactly. With negotiation, you want to be you want to use really neutral like verbiage here. You don't want to undershare, but you don't want to overshare at the same time.
0: Right. So then, at what point do you actually like give a number, or like who's the fir- who should be the first one to give a number? Then I guess like how does it progress there instead of this kind of like, well, yeah, it's fine, it's a good start. Okay, well, like what about this? Yeah, it's a good- like it, it could be vague forever, you know. So like how does it eventually evolve into? Uh, number offer
1: yeah so even at the very end when the recruiter you know share with you the good news like all right the team really loves you they thought you do really well in abcd see a lot of growth potential in you you know we're ready to move on to the offer stage what are you looking for even at that stage i still would recommend don't give your number um just let them know you know, and, and uh, sometimes too, you want to take this call to really understand the compensation philosophy. Like they can't just be pushing for a number when you don't tell you when they don't tell you like what goes into it, right? You can't make a decision without being informed. So push it back on them and say truthfully, you know, I've been really busy prepping for the interview. I haven't put much thought into it. Maybe you don't mind just kind of going over the compensation uh, structure with me first, and then we can go over perks and benefits, and then we'll take it from there. And, you know, once they go over everything again, you can just push it back on them one more time saying, you know, this is a little bit newer for me and everyone has different compensation structure. I know I'm not comparing Apple to Apple. If you don't mind just sharing the numbers with me first, it would be super you know, productive or effective or super helpful for me. I would greatly appreciate it. Does yeah. that work for it's you? Al-
0: it's almost like a game of poker of just like, just waiting for them to fold, just like waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and, waiting, and then having them be the first to show their hand.
1: Exactly. And like, once the recruiter had to explain everything for you, they were just like, I might as well just share a number now.
0: Right. <laughs> <There's> no- <laughs> yeah. you explain, it, explain it later. <laughs> Right. And like you mentioned, at that stage, you've like already gone through the entire interview process. You got a sense for the company culture. You got a sense of what they're looking for in this role. Um, you have their compensation philosophy together. You can piece all of those together even that when they give you a number, you have the data and information to be able to confidently say, like, actually, based on what I know and what I've learned, I think I'm this much instead exactly
1: and you want to do a lot of the asking good questions during that call like asking about the bonus structure how does that work typically like when is the payout is it once a year is it twice a year um is there any other bonuses on top of you know what you guys offer and things like that and for companies that don't offer a bonus that's the perfect window for you to use that as a leverage against them like, hey, since you don't offer me any bonus, what I want to be mindful of is inflation and, you know, living costs that just keep going up. So essentially, if I don't take this into consideration now, the longer I stay with the company, essentially, the, t- the less my take home pay is going to be. And I don't want to be in a right. position where the salary is a thing for me to have to leave the company. So I hope you understand where I'm coming from. They can't Absolutely. say no to that. You're going to be the biggest asshole if you say no after that request.
0: <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. Use all yeah. of that knowledge you learned in AP econ to talk about inflation, to talk about money and use all of that to your advantage. Exactly. Um, last que- yeah. Last question before we kind of move to the community Q&A. This whole conversation of this back and forth between yourself and a recruiter, Has a hiring manager and and other folks behind them to um, kind of make decisions about all of this. But what's the best format to be having this conversation? Is it through direct video calls or email or phone calls? What do you recommend there?
1: Yeah, good question. So typically I would recommend do that over via email. Um, So, you know, after the recruiter tells you we would love to move forward. They go over the compensation structure with you, perks and benefit, and let them know, this is a lot of good information. Let me just take some time to process all of this and get back to you later. Would that make sense for you? Would that work for you? A, as a recruiter for myself, it's so much easier to you know kind of follow that thought process because sometimes it's really hard to like, Maybe when I'm on the phone, someone just pinged me, I got distracted. Maybe they were asking me 140, but I misheard them and I wrote down 104, for example. Um, so just to have everything on paper is so much easier for the recruiter to you know, not make any like mistake when it comes to numbers there. And let's say if I have to uh, get an approval from their manager it's so much easier for me to just kind of forward with that email to the manager or the compensation team so as a candidate you have so much more control over your narrative because you could be saying the perfect thing but communication goes both ways It's also dependent on what the other side is perceiving that message so if this person misunderstood what you were saying and this person is relaying all this information to the team You don't know what went what went wrong in that process. Like things can go sideways really fast, or maybe this recruiter just explained something completely off, and the manager manager took it could take it the wrong way, and that kind of what could potentially jeopardize your relationship with the manager. And it's less, it you make your life so it makes life so much easier on you to do it over via email, because a lot of the time too, I I would see this happen with my friends where they, you know, I'll prep them, like ask for this much. And they were like, "Yep, no, I got it. And then we would rehearse it. And then when they're on the phone, they get so nervous that they start to like discount themselves, like, well, I guess like, I mean, I kind of want 300K, but like, I would be okay with 250. And I'm just like, Oh Oh, no, all the coaching. Exactly. I'm just like, oh, what? (laughs) Um, I think the best analogy to think of this too is when you send the recruiter an email and then you have a call with them after, it's just the analogy of like when you watch a movie and you read the book before, the movie is so much easier to understand, right? Versus if you just watch the movie and you've never seen the never read the book before, you've no idea what's going on in the movie. So that's like kind of taking the call without priming the recruiter, like what you're gonna talk about and you have to explain everything live. They're just gonna sit there and be like, Okay, like, I guess it makes sense, but I'm not sure. So email is the best way to go, easier for you to lay out your thought process there, much easier for the recruiter to share all that information with the team. You have so much more control over your narrative.
0: For sure. That's super helpful to know. Hey there, it's me again. I hope you're enjoying the episode. I wanted to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this episode, my YouTube members. That's right, I have a membership program right on YouTube where folks get access to the recording of the live stream, emojis to use in comments and chat, a merch discount, and more. My members directly support the work that I do as a content creator and make Muko's Corner possible. You too can become a member today by clicking the join button on my YouTube channel, which is linked in the show notes of this episode. Now let's get back to the show. Um, We're now going to move to questions from the community. These are the ones that have been kind of highly voted by other folks. Um, The first one uh, comes from Hoyden Monica, who commented on my uh, community post on YouTube. Um how to negotiate salary after trial period and how high percentage wise should a person aim?
1: Got trial period. I'm wondering
0: if this is like a 90 days trial period that they were referring to. Possibly, yeah. I know that um it's not super uncommon sometimes mm-hmm. for like for instance contracts maybe convert to full-time roles, so maybe that's what they're referring to or um yeah, maybe it, it is like a like some sort of two week or one month trial period in which they have like an hourly wage, but then it gets converted to full-time. I guess, yeah, any, I, I imagine the answer would go for any sort of like part-time or um, not full-time capacity to a full-time capacity. How would you navigate that conversation?
1: Yeah, so I would say um, this happens more so with like contractor position at you know Google, um, Facebook, or Amazon. So they typically would um, you know outsource their hiring through like a staffing agency. Um, so staffing, so in house recruiter don't get commission. So they just being paid like salary, equity, and whatnot. So we're not making any extra money. if you know, the company give us a lot more money and we low you or anything. But with staffing agencies, actually the opposite. They do get commission if let's say the client, which is Facebook, pay them fifty dollars an hour, for example. So that recruiter would try to find someone who can do the job for twenty five dollars an hour because they get commission of that remaining twenty five dollars. So in term of, you know, renegotiating for for Google and Facebook, typically the contract would be one year at a time and you can be a contractor with them for two years. So, when you at the one year mark, when your contract is being renewed, that would be the best time for you to renegotiate your rate. And in terms of like how much more, you can go for a lot higher here. So, I've had a lot of contractor who would renegotiate their rate and they would get an increase of $40,000 the second year when they sign their contract again. Um, in terms of like the, the 90 days, I feel like 90 days is not enough time for you to ask for a raise just yet because there's no project you know, you haven't finished any project yet. So when you finish a project or anything like that, that would be like the best time for you to revisit that conversation with the manager.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Next, we'll move on to the next question from Jason Zhang, also, I think, from my community post. Um, Can you negotiate when you have no competing offers? And is it possible to negotiate an offer if it's your best offer, i.e., you have two offers, one is 80K and the other is 140, but you want to negotiate the 140K up higher to maybe 150, 160 or whatever?
1: yeah yeah totally so in term of uh you don't need competing offers to negotiate the only company that you're gonna need competing offers to negotiate right now would be google because they would request for proof from you so be careful when you tell them yeah i have a competing offer when you don't because they will ask for that proof but for any other company they don't really care if you have competing offer and this is kind of what my to my point earlier during that call with the recruiter the first uh, the first call about like numbers and everything. Be sure to ask a lot of good questions, so you can leverage, you know, whatever benefits or um, compensation structure they don't offer against them, um, and then. Uh, in terms of competing offer, you don't have to share a range, but just sharing like names would be super helpful. So, for example, if I'm negotiating with Netflix and I am still in the interview process or potentially expect an offer from Facebook or Google, I don't have to share with them the number I can just say, hey, this is the number that I'm looking for based on my market research and from you know a few companies in my pipeline. And you know, here are the names that I've been talking to. And if you can meet me at this number, I'm happy to sign the offer within 24 hours. That's another powerful thing too. Like I said, the conversion is only 25% for smaller company is even lower. So at this stage, when you have an offer, the company needs you more than, than you need them. So be confident in term of going in with an ask, so give them a range if possible, leverage, you know, what is it about the offer that concern you. And if you have competing offer to share a name, you don't have to share. number. And then really powerful uh, for you, if this is like your final destination, let the recruiter know, if you meet me at this number, I'm happy to sign the offer. Um, because they will jump through all the hoops to make sure that you know, they give you, they can give you that number.
0: For sure. Got it. Cool. Next is from Selenium's also from the YouTube community post. Uh, we know way we know way less women negotiate compared to men, but I think more women negotiate comfortably since the dis- disparity came to light. I think you're talking about the the wage gap um, which, for genders. Do you still see differences in how men and women negotiate in recent years?
1: <sighs>
0: I'm gonna. It's sp- a hard question to answer. <laughs> I uh, Like I'm gonna
1: s- answer this question from my perspective as a recruiter. Um. The thing when I and you know I do I try to follow the same process with everyone where I start everyone out the same number and then I would wait for them to come back to me with an ask what is it that they're looking for, what's going on in the head, what are their reasons, what are the concern, and then you know what are the motivation, and as a recruiter it's really it's really hard for if, if I have if I send an offer to like a female candidate, they usually would just say. Let me take some time to think about it and they never come back to me with an ask i can't just randomly give them a higher number because my protocol i have to wait for you to ask that question first um so they would just take that offer they'll think about it and they interview with other company and they just either completely ghost me or come back and let me know like hey I'm, i decided to go with another company where had they asked for a higher number i would totally give it to them um, So that would be like what I've noticed so much more as a recruiter versus when I extend an offer to a male candidate, they usually try to negotiate with me on the phone, which I also don't recommend you doing that. Take some time to think about it and then renegotiate after that call. Um, so like from a recruiter perspective, yes, I still don't see a lot of female actually come back and asking for more. But I think that with a lot of effort around you know, closing the gap in terms of like transparency and things like that it does help a little bit
0: definitely yeah change like that can be slow but there is i think i'm seeing definite change as we're talking more about um, salary transparency and the wage trap a lot more cool next question uh comes from twitter from robin um a hiring manager asked me what i expected for salary i gave a number that was above market pay because i've been told to aim high and expect them to counter offer. Instead, they reacted like I was overvaluing myself and I felt like I was being judged. How can I do better next time?
1: Yeah, so when you give a range, this is kind of what I was saying earlier, be very careful when you give a range um, because when you give a range, they can hold you against that number. When you shoot for to the moon number, that also a pretty good indicator from the recruiter manager to say, this candidate isn't savvy when it comes to money. They don't even know their market value. And that's much more of a window for them to like lowball you later because they think that you don't know what you're doing. So giving a reasonable range is also like a really good tip. Another thing too, it's still too early in the process. So when they ask you or when a hiring manager asks you, what is it that you're looking for? And it's still very early in the process. Maybe you push back a little bit and say, can we discuss this later? Say they're not having it. They push it one more time. No, I really need this number for you from you before I move you along in the process with a much smaller company. I don't want to you know, I don't want to I just want to make sure that we're not wasting each other time Just say, OK, all right. Well, um, if you don't mind sharing the range with me, let's say they push back one more time, then ask them, OK, I can't make a decisions if I don't have all the information. Do you mind going over the compensation structure with me? What does that include? Is it base? Is it equity? Is it performance bonus? Like, tell me more. Yeah, and then this usually goes all the way back,
0: back to yeah, the best best tips that you shared earlier. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, because it's, it's not hard. Hard. Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, cool. We're gonna move on to some questions that came from the chat. Uh, the first one comes from Andy VDR. Uh, As a new dev changing career paths, how do you know where to position yourself for levels and if prior experience, in their case, a 10 plus year designer is relevant?
1: This is a little bit tricky um, in a sense that for someone who, you know, pivot in their career path. So let's say if you're going, you know, from something completely different where We've seen this happen more so like bootcamp student when they were a teacher before, and they now trying to transition to you know, become a software engineer. Um, in terms of like what companies look at, so typically for leveling, we look at two things. One is, you know, years of experience on their resume. And second thing is going to be, you know, their performance during the interview. So let's say if for Google, let's just use Google as an example. So there is a process in place already, and they say for a candidate who have, um, you know, maybe one to three years of experience with a bachelor degree, we will consider them for an L3. And if they have three to five years, we'll consider them at L4. And if they have five to eight years, we consider them at L5. And it just keep going up that way and the recruiter will count your relevant experience. So let's say if you have 10 years in design and maybe three years in software engineer, and if you apply for a pure like software engineer position, most likely they only count those three years of experience. Now, however, there are so many different job family where If you can do both, you're kind of like a unicorn and that role is like a creative technologist. So if you apply for something kind of like that, then we would count your 10 years plus your three years. So altogether you have 13 years of experience. We'll consider you for a much higher position at LSITs, which is senior.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I guess to share a bit of my experience too, most teams are looking for someone who brings something different to the table. And so you'll kind of get a sense of that, of like, what skill are they trying to look for? Is it someone who's really architecture savvy? Is it someone who's really product savvy? Um, is it someone who's got a lot of good technology breadth, for instance? And so getting mm-hmm. to know kind of what they're looking for from there will, I think, help you to see whether your past experience is relevant or not. And it really depends on every role, every company, but getting that within the interview can hopefully help, I think, with that.
1: Exactly. And sometimes too, the recruiter, they are pretty good for much bigger company. They're pretty good at like making sure that they can move you through the process or you have a much easier time moving through the process so if they feel like we know what the bar is for this level and if we if i feel like this candidate may not be able to make it i might down level them so this is a conversation that you should double check with your recruiter don't bring it up too soon don't don't ask it during like the first um interview wait until they say hey congratulations would love to move you to the next round of like a phone interview, this is when you should ask, I'm just curious what level am I being considered for? And if possible, I would say request for a quick info chat with your manager or someone on the team to kind of go over what it is that they're looking for because the job description is very vague. Sometimes even from the recruiter description, it's really vague too. Like there's only so much information they can share. So if you feel like, you know, I really want this job, Making sure that you request that info chat and then go over with your manager too. Hey, recruiter ABCD told me I'm being considered for a level four, but I also had experience in like, you know, elsewhere before. I'm just curious from a four to a five, what are the differences? And that's also for you to understand a little bit more too in terms of like the different bars. What is it the companies are looking for? And sometimes, too, let's say the recruiter make a mistake that they miscalibrate you uh, at a certain level. This is a lot much easier for them to just say, "Whoops, made a mistake. This candidate should be L5 instead," and we move you through the process for L5 versus you don't ask any questions that say they have you in a level lower. You go through the interview process, and this is now when you realize, "Wow, they downlevel me," or I. I'm being hired at a level lower, it's much harder to redo the entire process. And sometimes the team won't do that either. So catch it early.
0: Yeah. Makes a lot of sense why uh, the company's name is levels.fyi now when it's about, a lot of it is about salary. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Two more questions. The next one is by Josh Lee from the chat. Uh, I'm not sure if you touched on this before, but can a boot camp grad expect similar salary to recent college grads? So it's.
1: it it doesn't really matter if you went to a bootcamp or you went to a college. In fact, I actually hired someone who like never did either one at Amazon, where um they completely self taught and they were able to move up in the rank. It has to do a lot with your performance during the interview. So let's say if someone who has like a master's degree. But that person didn't pass the interview at level five and we have to down level them to a four versus a bootcamp grad, we bring them in at a five and they make it at five, that bootcamp grad student is going to get paid a lot higher. So a lot of it is dependent on like leveling and performance during the interview.
0: Yeah, this is another data point for it doesn't matter what your background is folks you can be a software engineer too it's all about skills and building those skills and proving that you have those skills to companies. so awesome yeah. okay last question from david Kishi. um i'm scared asking for an offer extension or higher pay could revoke my offer how should i go about negotiating a higher pay and an offer extension so i can still have my interview we kind of already talked about the higher pay part of like would a company rescinds my offer because of a higher pay. But let's talk about the extension part because I think that's really interesting because even in my experience, like like trying to align the timelines of all the different companies together so that you can have all of your cards on the table first before you make a decision is really tricky because everyone's got their own. So yeah, how would you go about navigating that conversation?
1: Yeah, so typically the uh, negotiation process, all the back and forth, just takes you about like a week to two weeks or so. Um, another thing that you can do to slow the process is to ask for an info chat. Hey, I didn't have a lot of you know information or context about this role. I would love to learn more before I accept the offer. Do you mind if I just have like a thirty minute chat that I can talk to maybe my manager or someone who's more senior on the team? Um, so that info chat is super helpful. So if if the recruiter agreed to it, don't try to schedule it the day after. That that's kind of defeat the purpose. So try to push that that info chat a little bit further out by just like, hey, I'm a little bit tied up this week. Um, my availability is, you know, A B C D next week you think if the manager can make it? And then um, this would be really important, especially when you get those recruiters who are a little bit more aggressive. You can ask the manager directly on that call as well. Like this is a lot of good information. Thank you so much. It's a big decision for me. Do you mind if I have more time to think about it? And when it comes from the hiring manager, the recruiter can't really have a lot of say at that stage. Uh, right. <laughs> Yeah. And then another thing, too, is I mean, this is no one really talked about this, but for bigger company like Facebook, Google, um, even Airbnb, Twitter, your yes, stay valid for six months to a year. So let's say if you lose an offer with Amazon, let's say your Alexa recruiter is super aggressive and they want you to make a decision like this week after you ask for extension and they still like won't let you have it, you can pretty much let it go and then reach out to another recruiter from maybe AWS or any other recruiter. They can still match you with a different team and you still have an offer. Even for Facebook and Google, you have a year to revisit your offer.
0: Wow, so, that's amazing.
1: That's a hot tip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of time for you. So when people freak out about timeline, I'm like, you'll be fine. <laughs>
0: Yeah. For sure. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for answering all those questions. Thank you all for asking those questions in chat, on the community post and on Twitter. Um, Thank you so much, Sarah, for being on the show today. I think we have all learned so much about salary negotiations, like between this session and the previous session we had one-on-one, I learned something new every single time. So thank you so much for your insight and time. Yeah. I'm so glad it's
1: helpful for you and for everyone. For sure,
0: yeah. And that's the show. Big thanks to Sarah for being on the show today and sharing her insight into salary negotiations. And I hope this information was valuable to you. You can find Sarah by checking out levels.fyi. And thank you for listening. Share with me what you found helpful in today's show or suggest future topics and guests by tagging me on social media at hellomayuko. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. I hope you take care and I'll see you in the next episode.